Hey everyone, Jawad here with Hit the Apex podcast. And wow, what a race we had. Humdinger, absolute humdinger of a first F1 race for 2021, the Bahrain Grand Prix, which is going to form pretty much the length of this podcast. Just, you know, talking about it, um, going through what exactly happened and um, giving a bit of my thoughts on the... I don't know if you'd call it contentious or it was one of the big talking points coming out of the race was the uh, track limits incident involving Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton during the race. So I'll get to that a little bit later. But first, you know, you've got to say on the surface, it looks like, you know, same result, different day um, with Hamilton drawing first blood. But it was close, you know, it was close. He won by, you know, seven tenths of a second. Um, Mercedes on the back foot all weekend and he just put in the drive of a champion, I think, to, to be able to do it. And Mercedes as well, they were aggressive with their strategy. They knew on pace they weren't as quick as the Red Bull and Verstappen. So they had to change it up with strategy, went a bit aggressive and undercut um, the... Red Bull of Verstappen and as a result were able to get the track position and for Verstappen fastest all weekend you know he gained I think three tenths of a second during qualifying in Q3 to get that pole position as well first pole position um, of the season and also you know first time Red Bull have scored a pole position in the first race of the year since what 2013 I think um and pity I guess the the win didn't come for them because the last time they won the first race of a season was going back to 2011 uh when Sebastian Vettel won here in Australia but yeah Max was fast all weekend the race started with um a safety car you know there was a spin and eventual crash from uh the rookie Mazepin only three corners into his debut um make of that what you wish I prefer not to give him as much um air and attention I think a lot of people feel the same way as well um about Mazepin um I'm not going to say much more there but yeah it was a pretty pretty poor weekend for him you know and I think it's right to say that he's going to be public enemy one number one this year and you know people comparing him to Pastor Maldonado, I think Maldonado at least was a decent bloke (laughs) and he won a race as well. So there we go. We'll leave it at that. But um, so after the safety car, you know, the race started proper. We had it reduced by a lap. Um, We didn't, we got to about lap 14 when Mercedes called in Hamilton for the hard tyres. Max came in um, lap 18 for the medium. So already they've kind of uh, diverged, gone two different ways on what tyres they're running. Um, Max was running with some kind of differential problems as well through the race. Um, you know, differential basically how power is distributed to the um, wheels and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure I ballsed up that explanation, but anyway. Um, and by the time the second stint came to an end, Max had caught up Lewis, but, you know, again, in line with that aggressive strategy, they brought in Hamilton on lap 29 for that second pit stop, whereas Max stayed out till lap 40. But this did set up that battle for the race's end, you know, five laps to go. Max is closing in on him. It was lap 53 that he ended up making the pass on Hamilton at turn four. But given that 
turn four is where we're having some issues with track limits just during the race you know we didn't hear much about it during qualifying apart from the fact that if you do go off at turn four um if you run wide you do uh get your lap time deleted that was not the case during the race um unless you were gaining an advantage quote unquote so what max did is he went off and then he was quickly told by the team to give that position back and that actually um you know, was under direction from race control. So Michael Massey, the race director, um, had spoken to everyone pre-race about, you know, if you do gain an advantage or you do make an overtake um, by going outside those track limits that you would have to redress it. So, you know, according to him, you know, and we do respect race control and the decisions they make it they're tough ones but you know he said that nothing changed between qualifying and the race um and basically where this all started was that in the race Hamilton apparently had gone off at turn four maybe like 20 something times you know and Red Bull were arguing that you know Hamilton's gaining two tenths a lap by doing that you know so they got on the phone basically to race control and I get the image um, from those Alpha Max Nova videos of um, Christian Horner getting on the phone and it, it just, yeah, for some reason I got that image stuck in my head. Um, getting on the phone to race control and saying, you know, hey, this guy's, you know, kind of gaining an advantage. And then Mercedes get on the radio to Hamilton saying that, can you not do that anymore? Um, and Hamilton's like, what do you mean? We've been doing this all race. There's nothing in the rules that says we're not allowed to, but you know, Peter Bonington, his, uh, response basically was that I know, but they're getting a bit, um, pantsy about it now. Don't think that was word on word what he said, but yeah, he's basically said it that way that yeah they're getting a bit um strict on it now so that's where i think you know this whole debate and beef kind of starts is the fact that on the from the outside as a viewer it looks like they've changed the rule halfway through the race but they'll argue you know race control and people in the know will argue that no it was stayed the same throughout the whole time it was just that they were alerted to the fact that you know there was an advantage being gained by Hamilton and in the rules it says you know if you're gaining an advantage that's when you have to stop using it but then the counter argument to that is how do you not not gain an advantage by going off you know um going wide at turn four you know if you're as tight as you can be to the apex and everything you know you might be losing some lap time but allowing you know not having to come off the throttle and just continue going and go as wide as you can you know we see that places like austria where they've got those sausage curbs designed to that are designed to stop you know this happening because it'll damage your car um you're gaining an advantage so I think where my beef my personal beef lies with this is just the ambiguity around it you know it's in the regulations it looks as clear as crystal and everything and once you read everything it kind of makes sense but the fact that from a layman's point of view it is a bit confusing and the fact that you know some people have taken away from this race or they've taken this you know reality away from the race saying that oh you know 
it's because of that that Max lost the race or whatever. It's like, no, there's other factors that came into it, but then that's the narrative that some people want to take away from it. So, yeah, you know, if they were a bit more, what do you call it, just less ambiguous about it, I think it would have been fine. But I think everything was done within the rules. There was no... um, you know, nothing illegal. Max ended up redressing as well. Hamilton, you know, I mean, two tenths a lap, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, or some people would say that that's a big deal. You know, he he could have won the race because of those two tenths a lap. But, you know, at the same time, it wasn't until Red Bull brought it up that it was actually addressed. So, you know, I don't think the race was won and lost because of that. You know, I think Mercedes won it because they made the aggressive decision for their strategy ended up getting ahead of the red bull um max definitely had other opportunities other passing opportunities i think you know to do that and unfortunately you know when it came to doing the redress what had happened is he i think spun up his tires um a bit too hard you know and then took the life out of the tires and that meant that he had no tyres left to try and pass, you know, the next opportunity because he still had, you know, a couple of laps to do so. So after that, it basically took him out of contention and unfortunately, you know, that was that. But, um, you know, Max said after the race uh, that, you know, he'd rather win that way than come home and finish second. Um, so what he means is that he would have rather won by, you know, making that pass and possibly getting a five-second penalty and, you know, getting that gap over Lewis, you know, in the last couple of laps to be able to nullify that penalty. But at the end of the day, I don't think it would have would have happened either. But you've got to, you know, you can't really have a dig at him for not having a go because he did have a go and everything. But at the same time, the composure, you know, at the end of the race and him burning up those tyres when he didn't need to, you know, whether that was frustration or just lack of composure in these pressure situations, I mean... That's what it all comes down to if you're going to fight for a world championship is how do you deal with the pressure? And Hamilton's a kind of driver that, yeah, you know, in 2016, Rosberg got under his skin and, you know, basically crumbled under pressure. But since then, he has not succumbed to any of that, you know. So he is really just in that element where drivers around him are crumbling due to pressure and is Verstappen going to be that next victim of that? So... It's going to be a long year. I'm glad that we had this kind of race. It was just so enjoyable, even at 2 o'clock in the morning, to watch. And even if the outcome is not going to make people happy because Mercedes won and Hamilton won, I think you know we're in for a, a really good year, given the fact that Mercedes is still not quite on top of their um, issues with their, their floor and their aero and everything. You know, Valtteri in qualifying, for example, said that, you know, the car was undrivable. So, you know, and Val- we'll get to Valtteri's problems um, a bit later. But, you know, Mercedes came out after the race and said that, you know, they fear that they might not be competitive um, in Imola and Portimao, the next two races that we're going to. So, you know... Um, it's all looking advantage Red Bull at the moment, but then it's that age-old adage that, you know, I come back to a lot if you've been listening to my podcast for the last couple of years, and in relation to Ferrari with their championship challenges is execution. And as a team sport, if the pit stops are not going right or you're making the wrong strategy calls, it's going to have a detrimental effect on your championship ultimately. So that's where, you know, 
when I talk when I talk about execution and everything. Apologies if you can hear some noise in the background. My beautiful partner is just making some dessert in the kitchen, so um, I'm going to power on, but. Um, she's, you know, wondering, am I making too much noise? And I said, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> as long as I'm as close to the microphone as possible, it should be fine. But if you have any complaint complaints about the noise, please write to me, but it's fine. <laughs> she's just giggling at me. It's okay, honey. <laughs> it's all right. Um, yeah. So basically it's going to come down to that across a 23 race season. If we do get to 23 races, not just, you know, pure pace alone, as we saw with Ferrari going back to 2017 and 18 or 18 was probably the year that they were the quickest. Um, and Mercedes didn't have the quickest car. So we'll leave it at that. So that was your positions one and two, uh, Hamilton and Verstappen. Um, quickly before I, get off Hamilton as well is that he broke the record for the most laps led as well so uh, Michael Schumacher of course 5,011 laps total and uh, Lewis ended up with 5,126 yep so another record in the bag for the knighted or yet to be knighted well he's been knighted but hasn't had the ceremony yet sir lewis hamilton all right valtteri yes lonely bottas in p3 lamented the defensive nature of his strategy after the race um he had an extra stop at the end to try and get the fastest lap because he was well ahead of the p4 driver and lando norris but regardless of that i think bottas is nowhere during the race you know and even on the restart at the the safety car restart at the start of the race he ended up being passed by Charles Leclerc and the Ferrari so you know this whole thing about you know Bottas 3.0 or whatever version he's up to and then um, saying that he's going to be the better driver this year we didn't really see that there in Bahrain and it was just you know I don't know whether to be disappointed I'm you know I've always been a fan of his and an admirer of his but I just don't think it's going to He's just going to be, you know, the supporting role this year, unfortunately, unless he can get his act together. I think he'll still win races, you know, on the days that, you know, Red Bull can't get up there or Hamilton has an off day, um, like Russia last year, for example. But again, you know, he just was nowhere. He didn't have the pace to match the top two guys. And then, you know, the reason they had to be defensive with his strategy was because, you know, he was basically being used as the rear gunner to try and um, keep Max behind. So, yeah, that's all I can say about Bottas, really. Um, moving on, then, Lando Norris, as I said before, f best of the rest in fourth. Um, Pierre Gasly put in a stonker of a qualifying to get up there in fifth. You know, he was ahead of both McLarens, but he his race was pretty much done when he made contact with Daniel Ricciardo, um, after the restart, he lost his front wing, did Gasly, and then basically spent the rest of the race at the back of the field, um, not even challenging for the points, unfortunately, which was not good considering we predicted, or I predicted that, you know, Gasly might have a top five, top six race, he might be the surprise packet, but unfortunately that didn't come to fruition, um, and for Daniel, you know, on his, um, McLaren debut, he carried floor damage from that crash with, uh, or that hit with Gasly, so that hurt his race pace throughout, P7 was the best he can do behind Leclerc and the Ferrari, and, you know, Ferrari, you've got to say, 
clear improvement from them, you know, from last year, you know, both in the top eight, you know, Leclerc in P6, Carlos Sainz in P8, whether there can be a challenger to McLaren this year for third in the Constructors' Championship, I don't think Ferrari quite have the pace to be, you know, where McLaren are, but, you know, they got the job done, and I think you've got two drivers in Leclerc and Sainz who are not very, they're not prone to mistakes, I think, you know, and last year it was clear that they were being hurt a lot by Sebastian Vettel's form as well, which, you know, we'll go into a bit later on. But I really like what we see, um, what we're seeing from Ferrari, apart from the the green branding on their car. I think hopefully that'll be gone, you know, when they head to a country which doesn't allow tobacco advertising on cars. But, you know, sixth and eighth, you know, a pretty good start, even though they're still well off the pace of the top two, top three teams. Yeah. I didn't mention Sergio Perez, though, as I should have, um, according to my notes. Um, he qualified 11th, which, you know, garnered some, a lot of, well, not a lot of, but some controversy and some criticism about, oh, you know, the second Red Bull driver, the second Red Bull seat is cursed, blah, blah, blah. Basically what they did, it was just, you know, a a little mistake which ended up being amplified. The fact that, you know, he was on the medium tyres trying to qualify in Q2 on the mediums. He buggered his first lap up, you know, by going off at turn four and, you know, getting the lap time deleted uh, for exceeding track limits. And then, you know, not having that banker lap in, you know, was a real pain for him. So he only ended up 11th, but... um, he had some problems pre-race as well. They had replaced, actually, the control electronics on his car and Gasly's car after qualifying. But then there was an issue with that pre-race where he pulled over to the side of the track. We thought he was done. Um, a lot of people thought he might have been done, but they got the car restarted and taken into pit lane to start the race from there. And then, as per Perez you know, puts in a driver of the day performance to come back and finished fifth on debut for Red Bull. So I think, you know, they couldn't have asked any more from him. But I don't get why, you know, the criticism again has come up given that we said, or I said um, pre-Bahrain Grand Prix going off the quotes that we got from Red Bull and Perez is that, you know, he expects him... It's, he expects it to take a couple of races for him to get bedded in with the car and everything. And that kind of performance, you know, to get back to fifth is, you know, proper Checo style, you know. And while they are behind Mercedes in the Constructors' Championship, it's still early days. So, you know, I expect him to do a bit better in Imola and then, of course, in, um, in Portimao as well, if, you know, Mercedes are not going to be up there. Just as long as the qualifying, you know, he, he gets a good qualifying, I think Perez will be up there. So I can't say any more about Checo than that. Great race for him, great debut. And just because he's got that experience that the guys like Gasly and um, Albon didn't, you know, I think they might have, even though Albon had a similar drive on his Red Bull debut in at Spa a couple of years ago, I think Perez is the kind of guy who's got the composure now under his skin, so he will do a lot better throughout the year. Already, I've covered Ferrari, um, and then, wow, you know, you go to P9, and Yuki Sonoda, his debut was just amazing, fending off three world champions, you know, Alonso, Seb, Kimi, going wheel to wheel with them, not really giving a hoots, you know, he, in practice or whatever, he was getting all sweary on the radio because of someone getting in his way, 
Um, just looking right at home, there is uh, Yuki Tsunoda, and you know, first Japanese driver as well since 2012 to score points. Of course, that was Kamu Kobayashi last time in what was his best season for, for Sauber back in 2012, finishing on the podium at home. That was, um, remember that day for sure. That was very, very um, exciting, I think, you know. Kobayashi was the kind of driver that everyone was a fan of secretly and Sonoda already has got a bit of a cult following going on because it's hard to dislike the bloke so yeah scoring points on his debut of course you know the last driver to do that was Stoffel Van Dorn who did it here in, at um, Bahrain as well um, for McLaren going back to 2017 I think it was when um when Alonso, oh no, 2016, sorry, when um, Alonso was out with injury, so very, very good result for him. Um, talking about those that world championship winning trio now, Alonso, his race, I guess, you know, he was out driving the car all weekend, he put in some amazing laps, not to blow your socks off considering the pace of the Alpine car, but he was, you know, it was clear that he was back, um, good old Alonso, but it was a sandwich wrapper that put him out of the race, um, getting stuck in his car and basically, yeah, making it overheat, so that was a bit unfortunate for him to finish that way, being the second driver to be not classified for the race, Kimi Raikkonen, of course, 11th, finishing, um, just behind Lance Stroll in the Aston Martin, uh, Alfa Romeo already looking like they've got the goods this year to be at the back of that midfield train, and on the cusp of the points, because both Raikkonen and Giovinazzi finished 11th and 12th in their race. But going back to Alpine, um, Esteban Ocon, P13, he finished, and again, just you know confirming where everyone thinks Alpine is at this year, but his race was kind of hurt by Sebastian Vettel basically ploughing into him, and Seb coming on the radio saying that it was um, Ocon's fault, that Ocon turned in on him, not really the case considering Ocon barely moved and it was Vettel who was moving everywhere. Um, it hurt Vettel's race more than it did Ocon's, you know, Vettel finishing down in 15th, but also just his whole weekend, his debut weekend for Aston Martin going pretty terribly, you've got to say. Um, he got a five place grid penalty um, before the race because he didn't slow down in qualifying for. Um, you know, yellow flags that they had out when the um, Suez Canal was blocked at Turn One. <laughs> I'm sure you guys will get you guys will get that joke. Um, it's not really a joke, but anyway, uh, yeah. So he got a penalty for that, um, and just yeah, it looked very sloppy. You know, continuing from continuing continuing what we saw in testing, where he's just not really comfortable in the car, and is it going to be an issue where they're going to be bothered by that? Um, that rake concept that they're running, you know, which is similar to Mercedes, you know, and with limited development this year for all the teams, you know, will we just see Aston Martin kind of not deliver on that promise that we expected, you know, all that expectation after, you know, last year and having the pink Mercedes car and getting Sebastian Vettel on board, whether that's not going to live up to the hype. Stroll finished, you know, in the points, he got a point, but I reckon just a bit of patience, but also I think given that this is kind of a stopgap year, maybe we kind of don't expect too much of Aston Martin and wait till 2022 when we get the new cars. But 
it's hard not to get caught up in the hype and everything. Oh, yes, and Vettel did get a 10-second time penalty as well for causing that collision with Ocon. So, you know, made his, even though he finished P15, I think, you know, it was a bit more um, miserable by that, even though he um, still had some cars that finished, the only other car that was classified that finished behind him, I should say, sorry, was uh, Mick Schumacher on his debut for Haas. At least he kept it out of the barriers. He did a good job, even though he did spin early on in the race. But um, to be classified on his uh, debut, good, you know, considering his dad, uh, actually, I think he DNF'd on the first lap on his F1 debut for Jordan back in the day. So good on good on Mick there. And, um, you know, just not much more you can expect from him to do this year, given um, where Haas are as a team and with the car. And actually... I was supposed to, as I said last week, that I was going to review Drive to Survive um, on this week's episode, but I haven't finished it yet, actually. I've been very slow with um, getting through the episodes. I've got three to go, but I did watch the the Haas-specific one the other night with, um, you know, Gunter, Gunter's Choice, I think it was called. So, basically him making the decision to sack both his drivers last year and um, go for a completely new lineup and everything. So, you know, that was a, that was a good, enjoyable episode, I think. Um, very, very reality TV-esque, you know, with the whole thing about Giovinazzi, you know, coming under pressure as well from, from Mick Schumacher and everything. So, good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Anyway... So yeah, that pretty much covers the um, the race, you know, and where everyone finished and how they all went. Um, I can't fault uh, Sergio Perez for his performance in that race. It was epic. Hamilton, again, you know, just putting in that champion's drive to come home and win the race, even though he wasn't expected to. Very much like Turkey last year. Um, sorry, George Russell finished 14th as well, we've got to say. So um, good race for him. You know, not much more you can expect from them as they're only expecting to feature in a couple of races this year where their car will suit the circuit. But yeah, that's it. And quick shout out too to Oscar Piastri uh, making his Formula 2 debut this weekend. He actually took his maiden win in the second sprint race over the weekend, but then rude a crash that he had in the feature race, which, you know, he could have won as well. Um, we're rooting for him this year um, with uh, Dan Tickdom. So that was a bit annoying that he, you know, crashed into Tickdom of all people, considering I would have thought that it was Tickdom that would have been the one to cause the collision and then start blaming other people for his misfortunes and everything but um can't do that oscar sorry you just you just can't um tictum's the bad guy in this one anyway um yeah so expecting good things from him this year you know he'll be up there in the championship battle you'd hope with the prima team but other guys you know guan yu Zhou looking very um strong as well and on you know both these guys can possibly be looking forward to driving with Alpine as early as next year if um, Ocon has a, another underwhelming season or for some reason Fernando Alonso decides that he wants to leave again even though he's committed to trying the new cars in 2022. Um, you know, there is a possibility of having a new driver there at Alpine from, you know, their junior academy both these guys in f2 at the moment i think christian lungard unfortunately not quite up to scratch at the moment unless he can turn our, turn his fortunes around across this season but you know between 
um, Zoe and Piastri, I think they're going to be the guys that um, you might see on the F1 grid in the next couple of years. And then I know um, there was a comment on my live blog, actually, that um, mentioned, you know, that someone reckons 2023, we're going to see all new lineup there at Alpine, uh, Pierre Gasly and Oscar Piastri. I think I, I even mentioned this on air Um towards the back end of last year saying that that would be my dream Alpine lineup for the future because you know Gasly let's be honest you know how long how much longer is he going to hang around at Red Bull you know he's going to have to break free of the shackles and look for um, success elsewhere as you know Daniel Ricciardo and Carlos Sainz have done Sebastian Vettel to some extent too even though Sebastian actually was able to win world championships and be the only world champion for Red Bull at this stage. So, you know, Gasly, Piastri, I think will be a solid lineup in 2023 for for um, Alpine. And you heard it here first, I guess, you know, so if we get to that stage of the silly season next year and um, you want to say if somebody nailed the lineup as early as, you know, 2020, you could say, because that's when I first mentioned it then, you know, Chuck us a line, give us some credit, and um, Bob's your uncle. All right, that's pretty much it for for the F1 side of things. All right, to finish it off, I guess, for this week, I know it's only half an hour in, (laughs) um, talk about MotoGP. The MotoGP was back on the weekend as well, and I wasn't game enough after the Bahrain Grand Prix to then sit and watch the Grand Prix of Qatar, um, basically next door to the next door to each other in that part of the world but I was wrecked Monday when um, I was at work I just felt the fatigue like I've never done it before you know so um, I'm glad that the next few races will be moving to European time um, and a more friendly at 11 p.m. even though I'm still not happy about 11 p.m. but anyway um, I'll get over it (laughs) you only hear about it uh, you know once a week possibly for me but yeah, um, I ended up watching it on demand um, on KO the Monday evening. And yeah, another thrilling opening race there at Qatar. It's always very exciting um, seeing him get back into action there. Unfortunately, last year, um, the Grand Prix of Qatar was cancelled. You know, they did the Moto2 or Moto3 race, but then MotoGP got cancelled because of COVID and they couldn't start the season until Jerez. But, um, you know, Yamaha drawing first blood there with Maverick Vinales, um, they just look so much better than they did last year. They didn't look as lost as they did. Um, pole position taken by Pekka Bagnaia there on his Ducati debut. And my goodness, the Ducatis, just their straight line speed, you know, when you watch the start of the race, basically all four of the um, 2021 spec factory bikes, you know, were at the front, you know, so the two factory bikes and then the Pramac bikes there of Johan Zarco and Jorge Martin. So it's like, you know, nitrous they've got on there when you look at the replays and you get to three quarters of the way down the straight, they're neck and neck. And then suddenly, while one bike tops out, the Ducati just finds an extra gear and just goes for the length of the straight. So they've just, they've had that for years, you know, the, the top speed advantage and everything. And Again, this year has been, we've seen they have that speed. And I think Johan Zarco actually broke the MotoGP top speed record as well over the weekend. I can't remember the exact figure, but 
he's got that award in his pocket. But in the race, unfortunately, the Ducatis did not do as well, you can say. Um, Jack Miller saying that he hit a wall with the tyres during the race, dropped down to P9, even though he qualified up in, I think, fifth it was. Um, and an important year for Ducati because, you know, they made the decision to part ways with their experienced combination of Davizioso and, and Petrucci and Petrucci unfortunately crashing out of his KTM KTM debut with um, Tech 3 this year those orange bright orange bikes they just look very strange you know <laughs> kind of like uh, the old um, oh, I'm not going to say they look like McLarens but yeah I just can't remember something they look like but um, it's, it's it's escaping me at the moment but yeah um they're going to have to have an important... They're going to have to have a good year this year, Ducati, given that they've got, you know, Jack Miller, who's already a winner in MotoGP, but it's been a long time and he hasn't won on a Ducati bike. He's come so close. And Bagnaia as well last year, he was close to winning a race until he had a bit of a heartbreak as well. So those guys, younger combination, less cynical and everything... They're going to have to have a good year this year, particularly if Marc Marquez is going to be out for still an undisclosed amount of time. You know, he they announced that he would miss the um, first two races, obviously being back-to-back there at the um, LaSalle circuit in Qatar, but we're not sure yet if he'll return in time for round three, which is going to be at Portimao. So, you know, could this be another year where Marc Marquez doesn't feature in the championship? Even if he does return, will Marquez be a threat to the um, championship? So this is where Ducati, Yamaha, Suzuki, they've all got to capitalise. Suzuki, you know, go back. could they go back to back? Um, you know, qualifying again was a bit disappointing for the Suzukis, but we've seen that over the years that, you know, and even last year in particular when they won the team's championship and the, the riders world championship there with Joe and Mia, that it's all about the race, you know, and how good they finish in the race. And Mia ended up making an exceptional comeback to finish in fourth. He actually was high second until, you know, right at the end of the race where the Ducatis of Zarco and um, Bagnaia just, you know, activated their nitrous and, you know, <laughs> went right past him, so relegated him down to fourth. So expect Mia to feature Rins as well, hopefully. He finished sixth in the race. Um, but, you know, good on Zarco for finishing P2 in his Pramac debut, Pramac Ducati debut, I should say. And a bit of a 360 for Zarco, considering a couple of years ago we thought he was going to be out of the sport you know altogether because of um you know the falling out that he had with KTM that project didn't work out for him but look at where he's at and where KTM are at this year because um they really didn't come out of the blocks very fast and competitive um top KTM rider was down in 13th there with Miguel Oliveira on his um factory KTM team debut finishing ahead of the um fellow race winner Brad Binder, who's in his second year on the KTM and MotoGP. And then I said already that um, Petrucci crashed out, and I think um, Ike Lekawona finished um, somewhere down outside the points too. So KTM, obviously the slowest, I think, then this year. Um, Aprilia, again, two bikes. They've got Alicia Spargaro finishing ahead of his brother, Paul, on his Repsol Honda debut. Uh, that is, that's Paul, that is, on his um, Repsol Honda debut. They were 7th and 8th in the end. Um, And Valentino Rossi 
qualified fourth, which was impressive, but then dropped to P12 for the race and um, basically just struggling with the rear tyre, you know. So I guess we can be buoyed by the fact that he's got some good qualifying pace on that um, satellite um, Yamaha bike now, but also just getting through the race and making sure that they finish high up in the race is the important thing. And it wasn't the greatest weekend for the uh, Sepang Racing Team either, with um, Franco Morbidelli finishing down in 18th position. But for Yamaha overall, they can be um, happy with their result there, uh, with Vinales finishing first. Vinales last year, terrible. Just one of those years where you wonder or you question whether he's actually going to be around the net. Like, you know, is he going to make the decision and say, I don't think this is quite for me because... The couple of crashes that he had last year would have totally frightened anyone to probably say, that's it, I'm done. But he's back, he's looking fitter than he has ever done before. Got a new teammate in Fabio Quattararo, and importantly, he came out and won, because, you know, I'd say that Vinales is kind of the team leader now there, he's the more senior rider at that team. Quattararo, while he's good, you know, he kind of just fell away last year when he had the opportunity to win the championship. And where did Fabio finish in the race? I think he finished finished down in fifth. So, you know, for Vinales to go and win, Fabio to finish sixth, or fifth, sorry, I should say, shows you that, you know, the ball is in Maverick's court at the moment, but, you know, that could all change, and it's all about that consistency again, which last year, unfortunately, we didn't really see from, um, you know, all those riders that we were expect, all those riders that we were expecting to um, feature high up, you know, and in the end, Rins, not Rins, sorry, Mia, um, bloody hell, Mia was the one who came and swept it from under their feet, so... Yeah, should be an exciting MotoGP World Championship as well this year. And I think that about wraps it up for this week. Um, I hope it was an insightful and entertaining podcast. Um, didn't get disturbed too much by background noises, but, you know, that's um, your loss and my gain because I get to have some yummy tiramisu with my lovely, beautiful partner um, for dessert. Um, but hopefully you guys have a happy Easter over this weekend. Enjoy the long weekend off if you've got it off. Um, if you're working, I feel your pain because I will be on Saturday, but you know I've got all the days off around it. And I think I will see you in a fortnight's time. I'll give you, I'll give it a miss next week. Um, the supercars have actually been um, delayed next week. You know, we were supposed to be, they were supposed to be racing in Tassie, in Tasmania, Simmons Plains. But unfortunately, because of the um, lockdown that was in uh, Brisbane and up in Queensland, uh, they've had another spell of COVID up there or another breakout of COVID, I should say. They've had to lock down, which has affected the travel plans for those Queensland-based teams, chiefly Triple Eight Race Engineering. So, unfortunately, we will have to put the Tasmania round back by a week. But that's okay because it'll be the same weekend as the Maiden Italy Grand Prix. That's what it's called. Can't we just call it the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix like we did last year? Anyway, thanks guys for tuning in. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter. At the Apex Media, I've always got my link tree 
profile or link in all the descriptions and all over my social channels so feel free to have a look and follow us um, or follow the podcast wherever you can and yeah enjoy the weekend and we'll be back in a couple of weeks bye for now